Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry, uh, and we are about to enter into Barrett Fisher's Video Store to talk a little bit about uh, Errol Morris's 1997 film, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. So let's walk into the video store and see how Barrett's doing. How you doing, Barrett? I'm doing well, thanks, Sam. Well, I am excited to talk about this movie. This was on my list of when we did the 10 movies we love. This was in my five. And, and honestly, this is one of this is one of my favorite movies, and it's a movie I've seen a lot. So I'm actually really nervous to hear what you have to say in terms of what you thought of it, because you hadn't seen this movie before, correct? That's right, yeah. I, I knew it by reputation. It's one of a movie I always wanted to see. I've seen several of Morris's other documentaries. But, yeah, this one was, uh, you know, we talked in our, in our first episode about movies that we had anticipated seeing. And so I guess this one would go on that list for me. Okay, before we get into this movie, tell me a little bit about your experience as a viewer of Errol Morris. Uh, I'm trying to think. I've actually, I've never seen one of his big early successes. I've never seen The Thin Blue Line, although I know it by reputation. I've seen Gates of Heaven, and I've seen Fog of War, and uh, I had actually forgotten until recently that I actually had seen Tabloid, uh, which is a very strange film. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. And 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 so one of the things I would I would remark about Morris is that from what from that from looking at those three films plus Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, um, while there is kind of a Morris style, I would also say that those are very different films uh, in in every way. I mean, they have they they use very different techniques. There's different tones. Um, so I think that with Morris, you're really never quite sure what you're going to get in a sense, but you know that it's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be anything that you complete, can completely expect. That's exactly right. Because one of the things that I want to talk about is sort of what is this movie? Like, how would you describe this movie to someone you haven't seen it? And then what is this movie about? Because I almost feel like those are two separate things. If you're starting someone watching it and then afterwards the conversation you have are maybe very different um, things. I will say my introduction to Errol Morris um, came when I was in... Uh, I, I actually, I think my introduction to Morris was this film, and it's very strange. I, if I'm not mistaken, this was when we, my wife and I, were on our honeymoon. So this would have been in 2001. Um, we went to Banff, so we were in in uh, the Canadian Rockies, and we were out hiking for the day. And we came back to the hotel, and she turned on the TV, and the first thing that I saw when the TV turned on was a naked mole rat. And so it was like, it was probably about halfway through the movie, and I was instantly just totally drawn in, but since the movie had already started and this was before, you know, anything where you could click a button and see what the show, like I didn't know what the movie was. And I just mm -hmm. remember, so for, for a while, he, it existed as this strange movie about ro robots and naked mole rats. Mm -hmm. that I was like, this is one of the craziest things I've seen. And I loved it. And I didn't know what it was. And then a friend of mine in graduate school, um, started talking about documentaries and he talked about, uh, recommended another film um, from Morris called Mr. Death, um, mm. The Rise and Fall of Fred Lichter, oh, which yeah. is amazing. It's That's a great movie. And around this time, so this is probably 2002 or three, uh, IFC, the Independent Film Channel, started just showing Errol Morris movies constantly. So I ended up watching Vernon, Florida and Gates of Heaven. And, and they were just, for some reason, they were always on when I, when I turned on the TV. There was about to start an Errol Morris movie. So... I obsessively watched my way through. And what I think is interesting about him is I feel like there's, as much as he has lots of different styles and lots of different interests, there's a couple different types of films that he makes. So I would say things like Gates of Heaven, Vernon, Florida, 
Um, and and probably Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control are one type of movie. And then he has his more, I'm Errol Morris, a detective kind of movie. So Thin mm-hmm. Blue Line is like that. Yeah. I actually think um, some movies like like uh, Standard Operating Procedure, which is about Abu Ghraib, um, even the Robert McNamara one, like the, they're they're sort of the, the very serious movies where he often has a serious subject. So he did Brief History of Time mm-hmm. is a, an interview with um, Stephen Hawking, which is a fascinating movie. So I actually prefer the, the movies where you're not going to watch him talk to a famous person, where it's instead we're exploring this, it, we're exploring this person. And that's what I love about this movie in particular. Do you know that he worked as a private investigator? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I had to throw in a film noir connection because he worked as a private investigator. And then when he was a graduate student at Berkeley, and of course his academic career was very strange, um, he spent a lot of time with the Pacific Film Archive. Uh, and the director there described him as a film noir nut. So yes. I, had, I had to make that connection to last week's movie. <laughs> so generally speaking, do you, are doc, do you like documentaries? Is that uh, yeah, I especially do. documentaries I do. as film, because I think we live in a world now where we're saturated with mm. documentaries of varying qualities. You know, I mean, you could call something like uh, Dateline on NBC kind of like a documentary. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, but then there's like maybe a, a more of a filmmaker making a documentary kind of thing. Too. Yeah, we yeah, and, and I I do. Um, actually, there's an interesting connection between Errol Morris, one of my favorite uh, directors, who makes kind of documentaries and fiction films on uh, equally, and that's Werner Herzog. Um, and Her- Herzog and uh, Morris actually met back in the, um, in, the se- in the 70s, I guess it was, when Morris was investigating uh, Ed Gein, you know, who's the kind of the model for Psycho. And in fact, there's a famous short film called uh, Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe. Um, and I didn't just, and I've, and I didn't go into recently that the, the person that he, he's eating his shoe because he had bet somebody that this person could not get a film made. And in fact, it was Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven. Right. Uh, and, and so there's a wonderful film of, of Herzog boiling and eating mo- most of his, most of his shoe. So have um, you actually seen that? Yes, I have. Oh. I have actually. And, uh, but Herzog is another, Herzog is one who also doesn't make traditional documentaries. Um, Although he does do voiceover, uh, and he he is very he's much more heavily a presence in his documentaries than Morris is in his. Um, but he's somebody who's I who I think his documentaries are genuinely interesting films uh, as well as documenting uh, and he's history and he's interested in in all kinds of interesting places and people uh, as well. Well, it's interesting because in uh, twenty I think it was twenty eighteen Morris had a, a Netflix kind of documentary something that walks a weird line between documentary and narrative film um, series or mini series called Wormwood. And it's the first time that I, that I've seen Morris on camera in his documentaries. Like he shot it very differently than something like fast, cheap and out of control. So, so it is interesting. He, he um, in that, in that case, he was much more present in the film. I'm always interested because in his earlier films and this happens in fast, cheap and out of control, there's usually one moment where you hear Morris's voice and mm-hmm. in this movie, it's at the very end, you hear yeah. him ask Dave Hoover a question about Clive uh, Beatty. And it's yeah. the only time you hear, it, it's almost like this intentional moment to take you out of the film to say, yeah, this guy's being interviewed by, by, by Errol Morris. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's maybe dive into the film a little bit. What were your, what were your 
what, maybe start with what were your expectations? I mean, this is, you said this is a movie you've heard of and, and, and heard about new by reputation. What were your expectations going in? Well, I, 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 I did know that the film had four very disparate subjects. Um, so, I, and I certainly knew about the naked mole rats. Um, I was aware of the robots. I'm not sure I knew about the topiary and the, uh, and the lion tamer, but I, but I, as I said, I did know that it was about four very different subjects. Um, so I went into it expecting that. What I did not expect was um, that the relationship among those different subjects was going to be something that I was going to need to work out. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that Morris was going to put them out there, and and there are some fairly obvious ways in which they interrelate. But then, but then I think you have to kind of the, the more I reflected on the film, the more I thought about various kinds of combinations for how those things could interconnect. So I think that surprised me. I, I didn't realize, and I was pleased that the film was going to ask uh, as much of me as, uh, as a viewer as it did. And I, I appreciate films that make me work a little bit um, as, a, as a viewer. So that that was a little, that was not quite what I expected. I also didn't expect um, the various, I guess you might call them the various textures of a film. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the way that uh, he used a number of, uh, of um, uh, film stocks and a number of film styles. And uh, the cinematographer was, uh, was Robert Richardson. He, he's been Oliver Stone's cinematographer for uh, JFK and Natural Born Killers. So it's kind of the combination of 35 millimeters, Super 8, uh, filming things uh, off of a TV and then intercut with the Clyde Beatty um, uh, uh, archival uh, footage as well as archival footage from other uh, Republic studio uh, serials. Uh, that kind of, uh, that, that surprised me. And um, it also suggested that he's a filmmaker. I, I, I would have originally thought of him as more of a Frederick Wiseman filmmaker and that Wiseman really kind of set the tone for films that don't have voiceovers. But at the same time, in some ways, they're very opposite types of filmmakers because Wiseman is is trying to be as objective as possible. And uh, Wiseman does what he does because he's trying to, uh, he's trying to maintain the illusion of kind of an unfiltered exposure to reality. Whereas Morris is sometimes put in what's called the, the reflexive style of documentary filmmaking, where he in fact wants you to be aware of the act of representation as well as what's represented. Um, and that was not something I would have expected from Fog of War, for example. Mm -hmm. So, so the distinction you made between the two types of documentaries he makes, I think that's a really helpful distinction because this is a documentary that consistently tells you without using voiceover, uh, without using, uh, with using only the barest of title cards, um, it, it tells you this is a, this is a documentary. Uh, so I, I, I really, that was, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. And it's interesting. This is a movie that I feel like he, sh they shot the interviews in the, kind of early mid 90s and this then i think they he worked with a lot of different ways to think about i mean i don't i don't even know that i don't think they were originally filmed thinking oh these are four things are going to fit together he filmed them um and then kept kept sort of working on like what is the connection between these and how do how do we create a uh, a conversation between these and, and I, I like the idea of thinking about groupings and pairings because they move throughout the film. At first, it feels like, well, these two people are maybe there's similarities here and there are similarities between these other two. But then there's other moments where it's like, actually, the 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 lion tamer and the robotics expert are actually talking about a really similar thing here. So I mean, it would, it, it, and one of the things when I um uh, I've heard interviews with I, I read a book I can't remember the name of it um, where it was 
documentary filmmakers interviewing other documentary filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And the question that they always asked was, uh, what is your, they even had a way to talk about it. And I can't remember. It was something like, what is your ratio? And everybody knew what that meant. And it was your ratio oh. of how many hours you filmed versus what showed up on the screen. Mm. And I think Morris, in, even in terms of interviews is famously like, that's a pretty big number that he'll, so yeah. I don't know. I'm curious how long he sat and talked with these guys to mine out, um, to mine out these pieces. Well, Orson Welles always said that, uh, that the films are created on the movieola. That is, films are created on in the editing studio, um, for a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I will say, uh, in, in in because of that, in certain ways, um, I don't know if I said this on a previous pod, but I'll say it again because this is something I say all the time. Like, there's I, I there's different types of art that I love. I love the art that makes me just stand in awe of it. But mm -hmm. I also love the art that makes me want to make art, and I mm. like this movie makes me want to make movies. Like, like uh, more so than than almost anything else, this makes me think. Like, I just I I want to go just interview people and not worry about how we're going to use it, and then sit and because I, I do a lot of video editing, sit and edit and try to like create a narrative between these things. Um, and and because a lot of the projects that I do, because you want people to feel natural when you're filming them, is you'll start by just kind of having a conversation with them, getting them talking, and then you eventually get to the questions you want to ask. And I don't worry about kind of where the pieces are going to fit until the end, because that's, it is fun to put uh, people talking about different things next to each other and see how you can create meaning out of that. So to me, this is one of the most um, uh, influential things that, that I've ever seen too, because more than anything, um, this is a movie that makes me want to go interview people and to start to think about how those things um, cut together. I also think it means that you have to embrace the idea that uh, that whether you're making a movie or whether you're writing something, that the real the real act of creation is the continual revision that goes on. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I when I used to work with students in writing courses, that was that was always the hardest thing for them to accept was the first draft is just the beginning. You're not, now you can actually start doing the work, right? Um, <laughs> and filming is really like that as well. It also has the same. I think it also has the same danger that it's really hard to figure out when it's done, right? Um, right. Because, and, and that was an issue with this film for Morris. I know is like they they kept trying different things with it, and and eventually, eventually they found something. And I don't. I mean, to be curious to hear him say, does he feel like he got it, or does he feel like oh, yeah. I look at it and yeah. Um, I also I mean, because of what you what you said, where this is a film that kind of asks a lot of the viewer to make make connections or to see connections and maybe even see connections that Morris isn't seeing, um, that this also makes the viewer a real active character in the in the film mm -hmm. that way. And, and you know, some of the things I was reading, there was a great um, article in uh, from the AV Club uh, and and uh, mm -hmm. by uh, Scott Tobias. And he was talking about how. Um, there's really five characters in this film and, and Morris is one of them because because mm -hmm. he said the thing that his argument was the thing that ties these four people together is that in some ways they're a lot like Morris in terms of sort of their obsessions with with things. And what I love about this is when I when we if you were to say this is a movie about obsession, that tends to have like a dark turn to it. Like, oh, I, you know, you don't want to. But but these are obsessions that don't seem to be destroying these people. Like they they are, you know, um, the the topiary gardener is like he is obsessed with the, with this work that he does. Not in a bad way, but this is his passion. This is his this is the thing he is. 
I might, I might just disagree with you on the lion tamer. <laughs> How so? Tell, tell me more. That, that, that may be a dangerous obsession, but oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, no, you're absolutely right that we tend to think of obsession as a, as a negative thing, but instead, it's more a kind of um, well, it's one of the themes of the film, right? Like, what is your nature? Uh, what what is what is a uh, a being's nature? What is human nature? What does it mean to follow your nature? And one of the things inter inter interesting about the film, and you see this. Um, especially clearly with uh, the lion, with Hoover and um, and the topiary, that you know what you do by your nature actually brings you into conflict with another nature. So you know these uh, these hedges do not want the the boxwood hedges; they do not want to grow uh, in this direction. And so you have to kind of literally bend them to your will. You know these lions and tigers would really prefer to eat you, uh, and you have to deal with that. Um, so I, so I think it's, it, it, so, and, and then there's the question of, are you doing something that's kind of contrary to your, to your own nature? Like, what is it, what does it mean to be a mammal and yet in some ways live like an insect? Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I think that that's one of the most interesting, uh, things that it raises and the idea that being obsessed with something or pursuing something, uh, passionately. And if you say, if you say somebody's passion, that has a much more positive, right. Um, connotation and i think that's that's what happens with each of these people they have passions that they keep pursuing um yeah. was there a particular uh, of the of the four subjects was there one of them you found yourself most drawn to yeah i think mole rats um really mole that's interesting because i have one but it is not ray mendez so and, 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 <laughs> well i first of all i i um I love animals, and 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 you know. So at the other end of the spectrum, um, I had the hardest time with the lot with the tamer, because mm -hmm. um, I I have a difficult time with how circuses treat animals, and you know that's kind of a broken example. But I, I I love the mole rat guy because first of all, I I just find a lot of the questions he's he's raising very interesting, um, and I just loved his affection for the mole rats. Um, I couldn't imagine having that kind of affection myself. Uh, but it seemed as though if if uh, if anybody could join mole rat society, he he would have been one of those one of those people. So it, in in some ways, the robotics um, maybe raises uh, Brooks maybe raises deeper questions about human identity uh, than uh, than Mendez does. But I just every time the mole rats came on, I got interested. Yeah, he uh, is he, delightful he, too. I mean, he's yeah. there. There, and I will say, uh, in twenty eighteen. Uh, for spring, I was on sabbatical for spring break. We went to um, we went to Orlando, Florida. Went to like Disney stuff like this. And at Disney's Animal Kingdom, we were on looking at some of their things with animals. And they have a naked mole rat display. And oh. I flipped out. I was so excited. <laughs> it looks like it's not the one that's in the movie, but it looks just like that. So I'm wondering if this is a a Ray Mendez design because it was just like this is so cool. Um, I was, yeah, I got, I got overly excited to see naked mole rats uh, <laughs> in an environment. For me, the person I'm drawn to is, uh, is Rodney Brooks. Um, mm -hmm. And and I was thinking about this morning, why is, and part of it is I think he does, I mean, he raises interesting philosophical questions, but even beyond that, um, I feel like there is a, a way in which what he's talking about intersects with part of even my biography to a certain degree. I mean, i I've never built a robot. I'm not a robotics person, but I spent a, probably from the age of eight until even past college, I did a lot of computer programming and a lot mm -hmm. of like building simulations. And I realized when he was talking about one of the most fascinating moments for me is when he talks about building 
a number of of small simple machines and sort mm -hmm. of watching them interact yeah uh, and i realized like oh i've written programs like that like mm -hmm. I, I my inroads into computer programming was creating started with creating baseball simulators because baseball is really easy to simulate because there's a lot of like discrete moments and it's just it's just numbers right it's pretty easy to do but uh when i was in my first year out of college i decided i wanted to make a simulator for for a game that was less like baseball which has these discrete moments and more of a flow game so a friend of mine and i we wrote a sim a basketball simulator because that mm. the way basketball flows is very different and i realized without thinking about it i was doing what he was doing i realized you could break the game of basketball down into some basic tendencies and basic choices so it's like you built each player like a mini robot that had a couple different tendencies and a couple different choices it could make and then I, and then when we, we ran the program it just all of a sudden a basketball game played in front of you. Mm. And when he talks about turning the robot on for the first time and like, mm. and it moves, yep. I, had that ex I have that exact feeling. And I'm just like, so I'm so drawn to him because he feels like somebody who I just like his mind and mine connect mm. in a kind of way. So I found myself deeply, deeply drawn, uh, yeah, he, drawn to him. He, yeah. He says, I switch it on and it does what is in its nature. Ex that's exactly right. And, and he, you know, the, he talks about this, this other, uh, professor saying, well, how do you tell it what to do? And he says, well, you don't. Right. And that's exactly the same kind of thing when you build a simulator. Like once you create its nature, you just let it do its thing and you and, and the flow happens. Right. He says it's, the, you know, it's, it's the interaction of simpler processes. Um, and, 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 you know, I think he never actually I don't think he ever actually says this explicitly, but in a way, um, there is a connection to the naked mole rats in that they they operate as a kind of a hive mind. Mm -hmm. um, or, or if you take it back to a literal hive, right, the way that bees or ant societies made up of all these little pieces that somehow act with what appears to be intention. Um, and, you know, whether it's intention, I mean, of course, as, as he said at one place, as if you analyze it too much, it becomes almost meaningless. Right. Uh, and at, that's a, I think that's a, a moment where I also really found him interesting because as I've been reading different reviews, I feel like people sort of jump over him a little bit and they sort of say oh he's this guy who thinks that carbon life will be replaced with with silicon life and he does say that he says but he actually says some people think that will happen i actually think he's a lot deeper than that in terms of you know he says there are times when i think this isn't the same you know right. and 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 i saw yeah so i i actually think he's that i find him really interesting um in that uh in that way well, he's also quite prophetic in his speculations about AI. Yes. You know, I mean, when you, when you hear him talking back in what is this, you know, the 97, early 90s, yeah. you know, and he's and he's talking about basically what we have, basically yep. what we have today, um, yeah. which 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 scares me because it means that predictions of what where we're going to be like in 10 or 20 years may actually be accurate, unfortunately. Yes. But your TV will be clean. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that idea of how to clean the TV. That is, that yeah. is. I, I watched the film with my wife, and she was very skeptical about that. But I thought, I don't know. That's got a certain amount of logic to it. I kind of like. Well, and actually, I love that he thought about like not this grand thing, but like how can we solve little problems with you know? It's like, well, actually, that's a it's a minor inconvenience thing, but it's a sort of interesting thinking, and and it's sort of the way he tends to think, like. Let's think about these small things, and if you have a whole bunch of small things, you know what can uh, what can that do? Now, I believe Rodney Brooks uh, was part of founding uh, the company that creates Roombas. You know, yeah, the little, I, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I know that he's going on to to found a company, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, 
So it is interesting. Even the Roomba is sort of what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. This thing yeah. that has these simple inputs and it does this service for us. Yeah. But as, as somebody in charge of dusting, among other responsibilities in my household, I was very interested in his TV uh, <laughs> screen cleaning idea. And I do the vacuuming as well, so I can appreciate that. Uh, being that this was a film you hadn't seen before, were there things about it that you didn't like or things about it that you... Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I that, That's a hard question. I, I mean, I guess once, once I... Figured out what Morris wanted me to do as a viewer. I was okay, but there, there, there were times where I talked earlier about the various kinds of um, visual techniques he uses, and there are times where I'm really, I, I really wasn't quite sure what the purpose of the aesthetic choices were. In other words, okay, I can see that you know you're filming this off mm -hmm. of TV, or you're deliberately using low res. Um, or you know, you're showing me this clip from a uh, from a classic uh, movie serial. Um, when I when I found myself at times struggling with the purpose of that art of that aesthetic choice, um, I didn't necessarily like that. And of course, I've already said I just don't like I don't like circuses. Uh, so, right, right. Okay. And there's uh, a lot of circus in this movie. And 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 I found myself, you know, um, kind of resisting and yet being drawn into uh the world of uh, of people like uh like like uh, dave hoover and uh, ha having a kind of a grudging admiration for what he was doing i want to just read a, a, a about half a paragraph from the scott tobias piece because he talks exactly about some of those visual things he says um all of morris's stylistic tics are designed to break down the viewer's defenses and make them more receptive to the film's steady stream of abstract ideas Early in the film, we're learning the basics about mole rats and heads trimming. And before we realize that our minds are open to ruminations on life, death, consciousness, and the very nature of human existence. The best possible explanation for how this movie works comes from Dave, the animal trainer, when he explains uh, in the clip how the four points of interest mm. confuse the lion. And he says, we're the lion. Like some mm. of these things, you know, like yeah. there are moments where you're like, what is, what is, the, what is happening? And then all of a sudden, it's kind of starts to, to fit together. I've never thought about that. And even you have these four people maybe as the four legs of that chair yeah. that are, you're jumping around and you're not spending too much time with anyone to get settled in. So we're the lion. Exactly. <laughs> um, were there any, I mean, obviously there's, there's lots and lots of themes that, that one could pull out of this movie. Was there any that you were particularly, uh, that have stayed with you since. You yeah, I, 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 I think in addition to the one that we were talking about earlier about, you know, figuring out what, what one's nature is um, and how you fulfill it or how you act contrary to it. I think the whole notion of being, um, of encountering the other, which is, which is another, another reason why Mendez was so interesting to me, because, um, you know, I, I think that one of the, that's one of the themes of the film is how do you, who is the other and how do you interact with the other? So whether the other is a lion, uh, whether the other is a, is a hedge, whether the other is a mole rat, whether it's a, ro uh, whether it's a robot, it's always raising these questions about who is the other and how receptive can you be uh, to, uh, to, to the other? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part where um, Mendez says something along, along the lines of, um, uh, he, talk, he talks exactly about what it means to kind of even try to put yourself a little bit in the 
the mindset of a, of a mole rat, um, what it means to have kind of a mole rat consciousness in a way he's sort of thinking along those lines. And I guess that's what I found uh, particularly interesting was this idea that you encounter the other not necessarily as something to control, but as something to um, uh, kind of sympathize or empathize with. And 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 there there even are there moments even with Dave Hoover there are moments like that when he talks about that particular lion that was his that was his favorite. Um, so I think that that was one of the themes that I found uh, you know partic particularly interesting. Yeah, I will say. I mean, I've seen this movie probably ten times. This is a a comfort movie for me when I when I want to like get my brain turning. I, I like to watch this movie, and I the thing I noticed this time more, and probably because when I first saw the movie, I was twenty four and wasn't thinking about any of this, um, uh, is the stuff at the end about sort of legacy and death a little bit more. I mean, thinking about you know Hoover talking about how he studied under Clyde Beatty and how there's this new trainer and he's not sure. And he, you know, and um, uh, the topiary gardener sort of saying there, that there kind of isn't a plan. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to tend these animals until I die. Mm -hmm. these, you know, and, um, and, and then you have, you have Brooks talking about almost like he's, I mean, some roboticist thinking about creating children, right? Like this is the next thing. This is the next step in the evolution. And, um, and, and even Mendez uh, talking about the mole rats as this thing that like we were barely scratching the surface of, and there's this huge future here. So um, those things hadn't struck me before. And I noticed as we talked about before, that's actually where the, the one spot where Morris steps into the film is when, what he asks Hoover is, do you miss Clive Beatty? And, yeah, it's, and yeah. it's like, that is a, regardless of how one feels about Hoover, that's a really touching moment when, you know, and that, and that really is in lots of ways, the end of the of the film, I think, I think that's. A yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, and that's something I learned from the film. I knew very little about Clyde Beatty. I didn't know about the films that he made. So that was, that was interesting, very interesting to me. Uh, so, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, Sam, which I think is maybe so obvious we haven't needed to talk about it, but in terms of the way that the various parts of the film relate to each other, um, the, the, the way that that Morris constantly has comments about one topic played over the other, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's often, it's often about the, uh, the, the circus animals. Um, so, you know, back to the theme of the other, he has Mendez saying the other is not something to be feared, but to be wondered at, looked at, explored in communication with, and he shows this over the, uh, over the, over the this performance of the circus animals or, um, he also, uh, Mendez also talks about the Zen of watching, trying to figure out the point. Uh, and that also is both about the mole rats and, and, and about the circus. Or at one point, the women are rolling the big ball, the big balls, just the way the lions do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you also see that over dis 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 discussions of the grunts and whistles of the mole rats. So I, you know, maybe for a first time viewer, those are the things that were most obvious that I was able to, to pick up on most immediately. Well, I we're we're getting uh, towards the end here. I will say, I said in the first episode that um, I showed my daughter two thousand one A Space Odyssey, and she'll never let me uh, forget it that I had her watch that. She uh, she did watch this with me, uh, I think a year ago, and it's one of her favorite movies. Like because we it, we ended up having about a probably a two hour conversation about robotics afterwards, and about like like because I was really interested in Brooks and we, I, we just kept talking about like, so imagine if you created something that did this and this very simple thing. And, and it was in like her, 
it's the movie she asks, like, can we watch that again? So, like, so she was actually disappointed that I didn't watch this with her when I rewatched it this week. So I'll have to probably this weekend we'll sit down and watch it again because this is this is one of her favorites. Well, that's a, I'm glad you said that, Sam, because my daughter and I, my daughter is very philosophically minded, and we often have great conversations. So I can imagine that she would really enjoy this film as well. Um, before we get to the recommendation for next week, I'm sort of curious. While we're on the topic of documentaries, do you have any? Uh, any documentaries, and I didn't prepare you for this, that popped to mind that are like this, if you if you like this movie or you like documentaries, hey, this might be another documentary, even if it's not like this at all. But. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, earlier I mentioned uh, Werner Herzog. I, I really enjoy Herzog's documentaries and almost any one of his, but I would say the one that's really most poignant, and uh, maybe this reflects again the fact that I love animals, is Grizzly Man. Oh, sure. Uh, have you seen that? I haven't. It's that's that's an example of a movie I'm very aware of, and I've never seen. Yeah, I, I would say get into any of Herzog's, but I would say Grizzly Man is a is a good place to start. So okay, I will throw out two recommendations. If you like this and you want to see more Errol Morris, um, I think that uh, I think Gates of Heaven is a is a very interesting. Uh, it's his first movie. I would also I think one of the the more interesting one that kind of almost bridges the two Errol Morris types of movies is uh, Mr. Death, The Rise and Fall of Fred Leuchter Jr. And I would say if you if you don't know anything about it, the best thing is to learn nothing about it and just watch. Because um, one of the things that, that, that Morris thinks about is even if you are interviewing someone who you disagree with, he, he is intentionally a non-confrontational interviewer right. because he interviews a long time and he just says, I want to get this person to talk and I'm, I'm not going to push him in, in these kind of ways, but I'm going to let this thing play out. And uh, the Fred Leuchter story is, is fascinating. Um, and yes, so I would say that that's a great one. Um, and then if, if you, a non Errol Morris movie, um, I, I'd love documentaries. One of my favorites, I don't know if, if, if you've seen this or not. Uh, it's an oddly deeply triumphant movie about filmmaking. Have you ever seen Chris Smith's American movie from 1999? No, no it no. is. It's about these, um, I'm trying to de describe this charitably kind of some burnout type figures living in Milwaukee. And one of them is a guy who always made like super eight movies and things like this. And he has this dream about wanting to make a horror film. Um, and it's at one level, it's deeply funny because there are these sort of unique quirky characters, but it is by the time you get to the end, it's one of the most triumphant things I've ever seen. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny and strange, um, but I I love that movie. Um, it's my wife and I. It's one of those that back in the days of a video store, we were walking and we saw the cover and we're just like, we're gonna get that movie. Um, yeah, it's and it's I I really really love that movie. Um, I I just love another one that kind of engages Morris's themes. A re really recent one uh, for a year uh, a couple of years ago, Three Identical Strangers. Yes. That's, that's a great that, movie. That, that, that's one that raises really interesting. Uh, uh, it's got ethical questions. It's also got questions about nature versus nurture. Um, so I would, I highly recommend that one. Absolutely. All right. So that's some documentary recommendations. Let's get to the recommendation for this week, Barrett. What do we got? Yeah. So I think um, next week I'd like to talk about Lars and the Real Girl. Um, don't remember the year on that one. I forgot to check. I think it's about 2012, 2013, somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a Ryan Gosling film. I'm kind of a Ryan Gosling fan. He's got a really interesting range. But 
Um, I think about that film a lot because I think it's a film that helps us think a little bit about um, how we um, how we respond as a community to those those among us who are in deep need. Uh, in this case, deep emotional need. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I would like to do next week. Fantastic. Now this is a movie I haven't seen, so I am very excited. It's oh, it's good. again one I've heard of, one I've heard people talk about, uh, but haven't seen. So we will be watching that for next week. Uh, until then, I am Sam Mulberry for Barrett Fisher. We'll see you next week in the video store. Mm -hmm.